You're listening to The Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Gary Harris Show. You see him host Tider Insider TV, Crimson Tide Kickoff, play-by-play for Alabama sports, and sports director for WGUA 23. It's time for The Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Here we go. Welcome into the Gary Harris Show for this Thursday, January 4, 2024. I'm your host, Gary Harris. I got my main man, Justin Jones, right there on the other side of the glass. He's manning the controls, taking your phone calls on the first and main condominiums hotline at 205-342-9904. We've also got a special guest in studio today, Cole Livingston from Pickens Academy. He's doing a job shadowing experience this morning with me. So he's here with me at the radio station this morning, and then uh, we're going to Go get something to eat after the show and then head over to the Digital Media Center inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And I'll show him where I work at WVUA 23 and give him a tour there. And then he'll be back off uh, up to Gordo where he lives. But uh, he's with us this morning. So glad to have Cole in here. And uh, we got a great lineup for you, which I'll run down here in just a second. But first things first, as always, this hour, the Gary Harris Show being brought to you by my friends at Alabama Credit Union. Steve Swafford, Tommy Cobb, the entire organization, man, it's first class. There's so many advantages to being a member of the credit union as opposed to being a customer at a regular banking institution. You need to find out for yourself the advantages of becoming a member of Alabama Credit Union. Find out more at alabamacu.com. That's alabamacu.com or get by and see them at one of their many locations around the great state of Alabama, including numerous locations right here in West Alabama. Alabama Credit Union. Loans for real life. Some rules and restrictions do apply. See if you're eligible for membership. Then join today and feel good about your money. And put a little extra change in your pocket. Right, here's the lineup for today, and it is a good one. The coach, Ellis Johnson, back with us this morning at 930. We're going to take a, a look back at the the bowl games, of course, obviously the Rose Bowl, the college football playoff semifinal there, and uh, the Sugar Bowl with Washington and Texas, but primarily we'll focus, of course, on Alabama and Michigan and, and what went wrong for the Crimson Tide. Why was Alabama not able to pull that one out? Uh, we'll talk with uh, Ellis Johnson about that. Also get his thoughts on that final play that sealed the Tide's fate on fourth and goal from the three-yard line uh, at the end of the game in the overtime that Alabama did not execute well and uh, that end of the game the coach will give us his uh, his thoughts on that at 10 o'clock this morning as we start off the second hour it's d orlando ledbetter with a falcons report longtime falcons beat writer for the atlanta journal constitution ajc.com he'll be with us and then at 10 30 my pal jeff spiegel sports anchor at abc 3340 and the host of the zone so we can't wait to uh, can't wait to get uh, up with jeff spiegel this morning at 10:30. As I said, your phone calls are welcome on the First Amendment Main Condominiums Hotline 205-342-9904. Whatever you want to talk about, we would love to hear from you. I tell you, Justin, we're going to go ahead and start it off with uh, the news from yesterday, which is obviously uh, the uh, transfer portal news. So let's go ahead and just kind of run some uh, headline music this morning. I'm going to jump right in and kind of explain later on everything that's happening with that. 
First, I want to mention to you the Under Armour All-American, uh, next All-American game in Orlando on Wednesday had a big Alabama flavor. Alabama commit Ryan Williams along with signees Jalen Mbakwe and Caden Jones played for Team Ice versus Team Fire. Team Ice was dominant 39-9. Williams had a touchdown catch. He also uh, a touchdown catch from uh, Mississippi State quarterback signee Michael Van Buren. He also threw a two-point conversion on a trick play to Van Buren. And later, while he was being interviewed on the sidelines with Van Buren, Caden Jones, the Alabama linebacker signee, had a pick six. How about that? And uh, Mbakwe was a lockdown corner in the game. So with the help of those three Alabama guys, Team Ice rolled over Team Fire. 39-9 to was the final score. The Army All-American game is coming up this Saturday, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that one as well. Well, it's portal season. And the Tuscaloosa News was the first to report yesterday that Alabama center Seth McLaughlin, who, of course, has obviously had his ups and downs this season, has uh, made plans to enter the NCAA transfer portal. McLaughlin struggled at times with snapping the ball to quarterback Jalen Milrow. It was an issue really from the beginning of the season right on through the Rose Bowl. And, um, uh, you know, several bad snaps in that game. It, you know, he's a really good player. I don't know what happened there, and I don't know why they couldn't get it fixed. Um, but it was something that kind of just um, was an issue all year long. You remember the Iron Bowl? Of course, there wouldn't have been a fourth and 31 without that snap. But when Alabama was in a goal-to-go situation, he snapped it early and low. And it, you know, was like a 20-yard loss on the play. But uh, McLaughlin could also look into entering the NFL draft. Now, because Alabama played in the college football playoff, their players received an extra window of portal entry and uh, members of the Crimson Tide have through Saturday to enter the portal. And, uh, boy, we're going to get to all the guys that are doing it. Another Alabama offensive lineman, a guy that I think is a really good player, <clears throat> offensive guard Terrence Ferguson, told Hayes Fawcett of On3 Sports that he plans to enter the transfer portal. Ferguson was a key reserve offensive lineman for the Crimson Tide, appearing in six games during the 2023 season, which included his first career starting at South Florida. He missed time during the year with a high ankle sprain that he suffered against Ole Miss. Other Alabama players that were reportedly entering the portal as of Wednesday afternoon, defensive lineman Michael Goodwine, defensive back Earl Little, defensive back Kristen Story, quarterback Eli Holstein, wide receiver Malik Benson, and tight end Miles Kitzelman. Now, there is obviously no law that says once you go in the portal that you can't come out if your school wants you to remain. Now, once you go in the portal, they don't have to honor your scholarship. But there is some thought process that a couple of these guys that Nick Saban might want to talk to about remaining at Alabama. So we'll certainly keep you uh, in the loop there. But, you know, for now, um, quite a few guys from Bama in the portal and expect to hear more names uh, before the weekend. That's just where we're at in college football, not just at Alabama, but everywhere. You know, players go in the portal <clears throat> and you lose players to the portal and then you bring players in from the portal. So we'll keep you up to date on that. I, I have a feeling, as I said, uh, and since I don't know this for a fact, I'm not going to give any names, but I think there are a couple guys that are on this list that may wind up staying at Alabama. Well, the Crimson Tide's run at a 19th National Championship came to a close on Monday in Pasadena, California. Number four, Alabama took the number one Michigan Wolverines to overtime in the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl before falling 27-20. Still, Bama finished 12-2 and and went 9-0 and in the Southeastern Conference to win the school's 30th SEC championship. Following the Rose Bowl, quarterback Jalen Milrose said the most rewarding aspects to the season were just the fact that this team came so far and that Nick Saban, the head coach, 
showed a lot of faith in his quarterback and his team. Milrow said that, uh, quote, we have a lot of things we can be proud of from this season. Could have easily lingered in past mistakes. Could have easily went into the tank when things weren't good. But the biggest thing was we continued to improve, continue to have singular focus in our approach when it came to preparation and when it came to attacking the task at hand. There's a lot of things to be proud of. But one thing I'm proud of is how much Coach Saban harped on his belief system on us. And seven former players from the University of Alabama have been selected as Pro Bowl game all-stars for the NFL's 2023 season. I say Pro Bowl games because they don't play a traditional football game anymore because that got that just became just it became a joke. You know, they were they were in full pads, but you know, nobody was tackling, nobody was putting any effort in. So yeah, now the Pro Bowl more. is a, is a series of competitions and they have a flag football game and and that type of thing. Yeah, and, and some breaking news here, which I think this was expected, but Chris Braswell officially declared for the NFL draft. Okay, well, I was just going to get to to uh, J.C. Latham, so now we got Braswell. But as far as the Pro Bowl is concerned, uh, Alabama has Amari uh, Cooper, uh, Browns wide receiver, Eagles guard Landon Dickerson, Pittsburgh Steelers free safety Mika Fitzpatrick, Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry, Denver Broncos quarterback Patrick Sertain the second, Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, and New York Jets defensive tackle Quinnen Williams. Cooper, Hill, Sertain, Tagovailoa, and Williams were selected as AFC starters. Now to the NFL draft. J.C. Latham announcing yesterday as expected the right tackle. He's entering the draft. And now Justin just tells me that Chris Braswell is as well. Dallas Turner, of course, had already announced really right after the game on Monday night. So that's three Alabama draft eligible players that also have eligibility remaining that are going to go into the draft. And, uh, you know, obviously we're expecting an announcement from Kool-Aid McKinstry. And uh, we don't know about Terry and Arnold. There's some chatter, Justin, if you heard this, that he might look to, to come back for another year. And obviously he's a great player at corner. Um, you know, I have been told that Jalen Milrow and he are tight, tight, tight. They're, they're close friends. Of course, they both kicked off the Lake initiative. Uh, that would be huge. That would be like when Najee Harris and those guys mm-hmm. on that team came back. Um, that would be a huge, uh, I don't even, I don't, not a get, but a retain, I guess, for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date, uh, on the show on, on any of that that's going on. But right now it's, uh, Latham, Turner, and Braswell all going to the draft. We gave you the portal guys. Listen, this is the way it goes now in college football. Roster management is a big part of it after every season. All right, before we go to the break, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to uh, a young man that is uh, helping uh, out this morning and uh, through a program that uh, Pickens Academy has, a uh, job shadowing experience. Cole Livingston is a senior at Pickens Academy. He lives in Gordo. He's a baseball player, and he's with me today to kind of uh, watch me work here and then as i said we're going to go over to the tv station i'm going to give him a tour there lean up to that mic there um is it up okay cole good morning morning how you feeling man good all right um what kind of led to this i know you have this program what kind of led you to me so to speak i've always known i just want to do something in sports Mm -hmm. sports related so i guess i just you just shadow someone in sports. All right. Well, you're getting a first-hand uh, look at how we do the radio show, that's for sure. Just, Not just shadowing. I mean, we're doing it live right now. You're on the radio. So I know you're a baseball player. You'd already shared with me that you have an interest in playing baseball after high school. Um, long-term, is sports broadcasting something that you think you might want to uh, take a look at? Definitely something I want to look into. So you're a big sports fan? Yes, sir. All right. Is Alabama your team? 
Absolutely. Okay, so you're a big Crimson Tide fan. What about pro sports? Do you have any teams that you like? I'm a Carolina Panthers fan and an Atlanta Braves fan. Okay, so Braves and Panthers fans. So obviously you're a big Bryce Young fan. Been a long year for the Panthers. Absolutely. But hopefully things get better. Braves, meanwhile, are really, really good. It was disappointing, though, that last year they had the best team in baseball and they promptly got knocked out by the Phillies they, again. They choked. Yeah. Really what do you think about um, about the Braves in, in 2024? I saw where they, you know, traded for Chris Sale, the, the pitcher from the Red Sox. And um, I guess they're on paper they should be the favorite in, in their division, don't you think? I, I think so. I think they're a 100-win team. Easy. Well, it's not easy. Uh, <laughs> 100 wins is a lot of wins. But, hey, they did it last year. And, uh, again, the key for the Braves, they're going to be really good. It, can you get in the postseason? Uh, the Braves, since, you know, I follow the Braves, too, going all the way back to the 70s. But when they got really good and won that first division in 91, they won 14 straight division titles and only won one World Series. And uh, now I think they've won, like, maybe six division titles in a row. And they did get the World Series a couple of years ago. But all the winning that they've done, and don't get me wrong, two World Championships are nice, but they haven't won nearly as many World Series as you would think a team that's been there that many times would. So maybe they'll get one in, in 2024. Well, good to have you with us this morning. Good to Thanks for having me. All right, Cole Livingston from uh, Pickens Academy uh, with us this morning. All right, it is 9.15. We're going to get to our first break. And when we come back, we're wide open for phone calls in the next segment. So uh, my callers out there that want to want to chime in, uh, 205-342-9904 is the number on the first main condominiums hotline. What do you think about Seth McLaughlin? Uh, listen, I, I don't blame him at this point because it became a really polarizing situation with these snaps. And uh, even though he's got another year of eligibility, he's been a good player here now, I'm telling you. But but the snapping issues have, have been there. Maybe he feels like he just needs a fresh start somewhere else. What do you think about that? Uh, do you wish he would have come back? Do you think he ought to enter the draft or just try to find another school? He's got all right. I think he was right. I know he's got one degree. Maybe I already have a couple degrees from here. He's academic, academically, he's outstanding. And if he does leave, Alabama's got to find a center for next year. So, uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about the portal? Uh, what do you think about Saban? Uh, your thoughts now still on, on what happened Monday afternoon that we've had a few days to digest it. Uh, what do you think about the national championship game? All of those topics we can entertain. And also, as I said, at 930, the coach Ellis Johnson is going to break it down for so this is the Gary Harris Show, uh, hour number one being brought to you by Alabama Credit Union, and we'll be back right after this. This season of Alabama football on Tide 100.9, brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse Casino. Just a few minutes away where you can be a winner, too. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's a daily update on Bama Sports and it's brought to you by CBNS Bank. Bank anywhere, at any time with CBNS Bank's digital solutions. Managing your finances has never been so easy. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. Tonight, Alabama women's basketball starts SEC play against Ole Miss at 6 p.m. Head coach Christy Curry gives thoughts on what's coming up in conference play for the Crimson Tide. I think the biggest thing in league play is, you know, understanding scouting reports and it's going to be scout specific and team specific on who we want to be defensively. And I think um, the little things are going to matter. You know, we feel like going in the off season, something we spend a lot of time on is, you know, improving defensively. We missed so much of our offense from a year ago. 
felt like there were at times we weren't very good defensively and getting critical stops. And so I love who this team's trying to be. It's going to be really, really important, though, that, you know, we only give one-shot opportunities. I think that's the biggest concern is, you know, one-shot stops uh, is really going to be important. There are a lot of teams in our league that their best offense is the second shot. So we're going to have to do a really good job of finishing possessions defensively. I'll have more in a moment. CBNS Bank has a long history of stability and a legacy of serving our community's needs for generations. You could say we know a thing or two about tradition. We've been family, community, and financially strong since we began in 1906. Being a team player is part of our culture. That's why at CBNS Bank, we're proud to sponsor the University of Alabama Athletics and prouder to take the field or court with you. Visit cbsbank.com today. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Join us this afternoon for Crimson Drive, driven by NASCAR. Streaming live at 2 p.m. Central on all CTSN social media platforms. Crimson Tide Today is brought to you by CBNS Bank. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A nice day today with a good supply of sunshine, the high 52. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 30. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy. Rain becomes widespread tomorrow night, the high 54. Saturday, rain ending early, becoming partly sunny, the high 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 36 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You see him on WVUA 23 covering sports and on Tider Insider TV on Tuesday nights. Don't miss a minute of the Gary Harris Show. Weekdays from 9 to 11 on Tide 100.9. 920, welcome back into the Gary Harris Show here on Tide 100.9 FM. Gary Harris, Justin Jones, as I said, our special guest, Cole Livingston, a student from Patricia, our Patrician Academy, Pickens Academy. Tristan's one of their rivals. Pickens Academy there uh, is with us this morning, and he's uh, shadowing me and learning a little bit about the radio and, and TV business, so we're glad to have him in studio. And now he's in the control room with Justin, getting a look at how we do it uh, behind the scenes. As I said, if you want to join the program, 205-342-9904 is the number on the First Domain Condominiums hotline. All right, someone had shot me a message on social media about uh, what I think about Ryan Williams and where he's going to wind up. And we had uh, Andrew Bone on yesterday with a great recruiting, uh, Alabama recruiting report. You can hear that Bone interview at our recruiting podcast, uh, at our podcast center at Tide109.com. Also, anywhere you get your podcast, Google, Spotify, wherever. And Bone broke it down pretty good. But I expect that um, Ron Williams is going to sign with Alabama. I really do. That's that's he, that's where he's committed. I know Auburn has made a, a huge push. Uh, but I still feel like in the end, he's going to, he's going to sign with the Crimson Tide where he's been committed for a long, long time. And, you know, he moved up to uh, be part of the 2024 class. He was originally scheduled to graduate in 2025, but because he's a, in good academic standing, he was able to, um, take a, a heavier academic load and reclassify. So he will, uh, he'll sign in February and, uh, he'll graduate high school in the spring <clears throat> and he'll be here at Alabama is my expectation. Uh, sometime, you know, in the summer, getting ready for the 2024 season. And yes, I think he's an instant impact player. Uh, Ryan Williams is, is gifted. He is a special talent on the football field and, uh, will make any team that he goes to better. Um, whether they're a good team like Alabama or they're a team that, uh, you know, is struggling, he, he can help any team. He is that good and he's that talented. But I think Ron Williams is going to stick to his commitment to sign with Alabama. As we mentioned, Caden Jones, the Alabama linebacker signee, 
had a, a pick six in that game. And then, then Jalen Mbakwe, uh, who is probably going to play corner for the Crimson Tide. But, you know, at Clay Chalkville, he played quarterback. Uh, he, he could play wide receiver. He's just a superb athlete. He actually beat Ryan Williams, Justin, in the 40-yard dash competition at the Under Armour All-America game. Mbakwe beat Williams. So he beat him in the championship game, and then he beat him in the 40-yard dash. Did you see the, like, celebration thing they had as well? It was like a life-size action figure. I saw it, yeah, yeah for both uh, both the heat and the ice. Although the, 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 the fire didn't get to do it as much as the uh, ice did. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was listen, I, I had it on at the TV station. I showed some highlights last night on the 10 o'clock sports. I thought it was a, it was a fun game, and uh, that was in Orlando. The U.S. Army All-America game comes up Saturday. I assume it's still in San Antonio. That's where it's always been. Look at up and see if you can see, but you're going to have two announcements at that game that uh, involve Alabama. The defensive back out of Daytona Beach, Florida, Mincy is going to announce his commitment. I think they've already signed, but they haven't announced it yet. And there's an expectation that he's going to announce for Alabama. And then Daniel Hill, the running back out of Meridian, Mississippi, is going to announce as well. And um, Alabama certainly uh, involved there. Yeah, that's going to be in Frisco, Texas. Oh, Frisco, Texas. Yeah, okay. I believe it's going to be in the Cowboys Stadium. So, Jerry's Oh, moved. okay, so it has been moved. Okay, it, it used to be. Uh, of course, that's in Arlington. The, the, the AT&T is in Arlington. The game used to be in San Antonio, so uh, <clears throat> now I have to look up. It's a little confusing. I'm, I'm on their website right now, and so they say Frisco, but then they say where the Cowboys play, which you're right, that's in Arlington. Well, that's a, that's, yeah, that's, that's AT&T Stadium, so, huh. Well, that's, um, yeah, I mean, these things move around some. I'm going to try to find out for myself because, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, um, yeah, it says hosted in Frisco, Texas, where the Dallas Cowboys play. Uh, but then I also, it comes up with the uh, Alamo Dome. Um, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> you know, we know this. I, I uh, if it's if it's where the Cowboys play, that's, uh that's AT&T Stadium in Arlington, so we'll, um, hmm. Like I said, it always had been in, in San Antonio at the uh, Alamo Dome for years. But anyway, it's in Texas, and it's the second of the uh, All-Star Games, and uh, Alabama has a presence, of course, in, in both of those. So we'll, uh, I'll try to get some clarification on that. Maybe some, one of you, some of you listeners out there um, know, too, um, and if you do, you can you can uh, you can give us uh, a ring on that. Uh, back to the portal again. I've been talking a lot about that. Oh, caller just called in and let us know Frisco is where their practice facility is. That big practice facility. I believe they had the Texas high school championships. So they're going to well. play there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that threw, like you said, throws you. I said that's where the Cowboys play. They should say that's where the Cowboys practice. But thank you, caller, for um, for calling in. So they're going to be playing in Frisco, Texas, at that facility on Saturday, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on on that too. Good. I knew there had to be something to to clarify that, but uh, good. Yeah, they're going to be at the Cowboys practice facility, and I'm sure it's plenty big enough to host a a game like this. But getting back to the portal, and you know, I'm. Lord, I have told, we've talked about this ever since it went in NIL portal. I, you know, I was not a huge fan of sweeping changes all at once like we had. I, I said that, you know, I, I thought the system that was in place was, you know, I, a good system in terms of, you know, all that goes with getting a scholarship to one of these schools. It's not just your education, which is huge, but it's, you know, place to live. It's all your meals. Yes, stipends. They were getting money to begin with. Um, 
I wanted NIL to be a little slower in the process and so that it could have actually been geared toward actual name, image, and likeness instead of just this is how much we're going to pay you to come play here. But when it went in the way that it did, I think most of us that didn't have blinders on knew this is what it was going to be. Same thing with the portal. Once you put that portal in and you said guys can can move at will, um, you know, I, I get it when you've had a player that has has um, – you know, waited around two or three years, some cases even longer, and, and they don't have an opportunity. I, but when you've been here a year, when you've been somewhere a year, um, and then you don't even wait around to see what's in store for you, you just get frustrated. I should be playing. That's, that's, that's where I don't like the portal. I mean, I, I, I almost would have, and somebody else has texted me, uh, Justin, that's right. Yeah, it's the Dallas Cowboys facility, and uh, they've got a um, stadium there. Um, I almost wish the portal could be, it could have been class-specific. In other words, you had to be at least a second-year, either a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. In other words, I'd like to see it where you had to spend at least two years in the program before you could transfer right away. In other words, yeah, you can always leave. But if you left after your freshman year, you would still have to sit out. You know, I, I would like to have it, you know, set up where you had to be at a place two years before you could just transfer without penalty. But it's not. It's a free-for-all, and it's happening everywhere, and it's just part of the game now. Same thing with NIL. You know, guys go in the portal, and they're, many of them are expecting a certain amount of money. Um, and it is, and it is you know, relayed out there. The information's out there. Hey, this kid wants X amount of dollars uh, to come to a school. So uh, it's paid for play. It's unlimited free agency. I hope we can get some kind of handle on it. I don't like the calendar for the portal. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that they need to look at and try to fix. All right, 929, we're going to get to the break. We'll come back with Coach Ellis Johnson breaking it all down in terms of the uh, bowl games and the national championship next right here on the Gear Here Show. As much as Innisfree has evolved, it will always be that place to escape and have a good time. Whether it's for a game day weekend, to reminisce on college days, or to create new memories, if you're looking for a good time, there's only one thing to do. Head to the free at 1925 University Boulevard. And don't forget about the Lucky Lunch Meat and Free Special. Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m., get a meat and free vegetables for just $8.49. Or for a lighter appetite, try the Lucky Lunch Soup, Salad, or Sandwich Combo. I'll see you at the free. Alabama Crimson Tide football, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 932, welcome back into the Gary Harris Show, 28 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock, right here on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM. WTBC, and it's time to visit with the coach, Ellis Johnson, and uh, break it all down from bowl season. Obviously, we're going to start with uh, the Rose Bowl. Good morning, coach. How are you? Yeah, how you doing? Doing well, man. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, let's start with what we saw Monday out at the, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, Alabama, and Michigan overtime. Michigan uh, made the plays that, you know, it came down to, you know, OT. And even before that, down the stretch, Michigan made the plays that um, they had to make. And, and they got the win 27-20. What were your takeaways from the game? Well, I thought unusually so. I thought it was not a very clean it was uh, or well-played game in some ways. You know, that. If you look at it, there were only one turnover on each team, but, you know, the, the snaps rolling back there on the ground, uh, the muff kickoff return, the muff punt return, both of those by Michigan. I mean, both teams 
gave the other team many chances to sort of take control of the football game. But on the positive side, they're both so good up front, physical, fast, and so forth. Neither team could ever just take control. So it was a good football game. Obviously, it goes into overtime. It was a close ball game. And, and uh, you know, well well played effort-wise, but, but so many mistakes. Uh, the biggest thing, I, uh, Alabama, it just it seemed like they were having some issues at the line. I don't know if it was noise or, or what it was, but early on the sacks, they, they were getting keen on protection. Uh, Michigan was showing up front, getting them to set their protection, timing it up so well when they came out of it and brought the pressure from the opposite side. When, what you do on that is you – you try to redirect the offensive line to the other side. Everybody's got a call. You sometimes something like river or lake, something simple like that. So you change it from right to left. Well, they didn't have time to do it. And it wasn't Jason, was it uh, Milro, or, or was it just the timing of Michigan? I don't know. I think that also caused some of the bad snaps. The center's got a lot going on up there in his head. And, and a lot of times that mental confusion and the, you know, all the line calls and everything else. He gets, gets technique, gets sloppy, and he doesn't do a good snap. And then I think the last play of the game, you got to check out of that play. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a play that's going to work against that look. Yeah, you, you just said a lot, and there's a lot to wrap around that I want to follow up on you with. Uh, from the start of the game, it was just, it was, it was almost embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> Alabama just, and you, you said a lot of the reasons why, but it just looked like to me schematically, uh, that Michigan got to jump on them. And early in the game, uh, you know, it just didn't like they could block them. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I was stunned with how easily Michigan was getting to the quarterback and the fact that Alabama, and this, now this is where you can help us coach, as you said, was, but didn't seem to have a counter. I mean, didn't seem to, you know, whether it's, it, it's a screen or a, a quarterback draw or just something. Cause when he was going back there in the pocket, um, he was just getting smothered and, you know, I'm not a coach, so I'm asking you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, changing the blocking schemes, but outside of that, just from a play call standpoint, uh, there seems to me there could have been something maybe to slow them down a little bit. Well, I think it looked to me like Alabama's uh, their goal when they came into the game. They wanted to hit a deep ball yeah. there, and I think they were trying to get that, maybe to a fault, uh, allow Michigan to get that kind of pressure. Uh, a lot of pocket throws early. Maybe not quite as much run. It's just, you know, it's easy to sit here and critique the game plan, but the game plan was worked out over three weeks, four weeks of preparation, film study, et cetera. And they were trying to probably get their, their strength on Michigan's weaknesses and get a big one and get the game turned. Uh, but again, it was the operations at the line of scrimmage. And then also Michigan just covered all five linemen a few times and, and rushed one on one with everybody and, and somebody would win. And, and if you hold the ball too long, that's going to happen. And then the other, they got a couple pretty good twists off of it. But they did a very good job on third down of timing up their blitz guys and then bringing it from the opposite side. And it's a very simple concept. But if it's if it's well executed and you don't have time to recheck the offensive line, then the quarterback's got to know you're not protected on that other side. All right, let's get to the – the issues, and I know you couldn't watch Alabama every game, every play, but I pretty much did <laughs> with my job here. 
the the snapping issues with Seth McLaughlin, who I think is a good football player. And um, as you said, there's a lot on a center here, man, especially I think with the offense this year. I think the center uh, made a lot of the calls, not just for the line, but, you know, helping the quarterback out. But the snapping deal started in the first game, and it really was an issue the entire season. I, there, there, there wouldn't have been a fourth and goal from the 31 <laughs> without that without that brutal snap uh, in, in the Iron Bowl. Uh how, you know, how does that not get fixed? Whether it's, uh, whether it's, you know, finding another center or the offensive line coach figuring out why. I know there was a talk early in the year that his hand was hurt. They changed his snapping style for a while and it seemed like it got better, but that was something that, that lingered the entire season. I don't think I've ever seen it happen like it did here with, you know, could you put the quarterback under center? I mean, the fact that it was a problem from the start of the season and was still a problem in the Rose Bowl is just amazing to me. Well, and I, I didn't know it was that much of a problem yeah, all season pretty much long. All year. So point, points well taken. I, I do know this. I've worked with Eric Wolford twice. He's as good as I've ever worked with the offensive line coach, uh, as far as the teacher, recruiter, et cetera. Uh, I don't know anything about the kid as far as his injuries and so forth. Uh, again, what I thought was happening in that game that we watched just the other night is there was a lot of confusion up there, but I don't know if the word confusion. There was a lot of talking, a lot of changing, a lot of scheming, and a lot of that falls on the center. And you start working about, worried about protection and where you got to work and who you got to block. You put a guy on, on, on that snap hand on that side of the offensive lineman, and it's very hard to get that ball snapped and get that hand back up in order to protect. So you either get a, a bad snap or you get a bad pass rush technique, pass pro technique on the pass rusher. And, that, and you know, now you beat physical. So it, it was a problem. Now, if he didn't make a change, that's because he was the best player they had. And, you know, best football player and got to get snap cleaned up. And they probably went out and worked on it double time and snap, 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 and keep working on it just like a receiver gets on the judge's gun. Mm-hmm. But it's different. You know, just like you go to the button green that, Work on your technique, but when you get that four footer on the 18th hole to win 50 bucks, you normally go back to what you always were. Yeah, good point. Well, well said. All right, now to the last play again. I, I want to follow up with you there because Saban said after the game they had three two-point plays in for the game. All right, and that basically is a two-point play when you're three-yard line. He said the first look, they, they love the look. He said Michigan must have picked up on it because Michigan called timeout. He said the second time they came out, they didn't like the look. Alabama didn't like the look, so they called timeout. And then the third time, I, I want to get some clarification from you because there's been a lot of discussion around here whether it was a called run or an RPO. My my take is watching, even though the snap, again, was low and, and fast and kind of threw off the timing of the play, it looked like a straight run play to me. And I don't think he was supposed to hit it up inside like that. I think he was supposed to with the right guard pulling and then flaring out um, Williams into the flat to try to take a defender away, I think he was supposed to try to run it in off the left tackle. I do know this. If he had looked up and seen Roydell Williams, he could have pitched it out there to him. He could have walked in. But uh, what did you see from that play, the lack of execution, and do you think it was a straight run call, or do you think it was an RPO? I, I looked to me like he was just running it the entire way. Well, it, it could very have easily been an RPO. Uh, the snap gives him no chance to execute that because obviously where Roydell was going, it's either a quarterback run inside or quarterback option pitch it outside and and it could have been but when the ball's rolling on the ground and your head's down you got to feel it like a second baseman mm-hmm. you don't know what the read is 
So he did the right thing once the ball was snapped and just trying to get what he could get. Uh, a, a trap draw, which is what that design was, can be a great play against blitz or, or pressure. They were bringing five or six. Right mm-hmm. And and if you get that guard to the opposite side, I mean, it's going to crack because everybody else is pending the gaps. That's a long way to go for an offensive lineman, and it boils down to the speed of the two players, you know, who can get there the quickest defender or the bull. And uh, so it, it wasn't, to me, I think if you've seen it and had time to check it, you might get out of it. But because of the way they had it set up, they may not have had a play to check to. The, the pitch to the outside may have been the, the answer to it. And, and you know, I did not even notice that because it happened so fast. I thought, gosh, you know, the snap ruined the whole play. But I, I think it very well could have been a, a pre-snap RPO. In other words, you look at it, they're going to bring the blitz throw it to the scat back because they don't have anybody to cover. Uh, so, and, and then, you know, you just didn't have a chance to execute it. The coach, Ellis Johnson, with it, uh, with us, uh, you know, breaking down the, the, the Rose Bowl. All right, you, you've you done this a long time, and, you know, I and get it. I, I see it kind of, you know, I know some coaches, and then obviously the fan side of it, I'm, as a sportscaster, you're kind of in the middle a little bit. It, uh, you don't know as much about it as you think you do, but you may know more about it than some fans do. And, and fans are upset anytime Alabama loses a game. But um, as a coach, when you watched, and, and you didn't get to follow Alabama, like I said, every game, but to see where this team was, to where it wound up, uh, to go 9-0 and in the league, to win the Southeastern Conference Championship, to beat Georgia, and even though they lost, get to overtime against the number one team in the country, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised at how much negativity there is from from the fans when I just think this was a heck of a year for, for this team and this coaching staff to get to where this team got when, you know, early in the year they were struggling. Yeah, I, Gary, when I was coaching Bill Oliver, a long-time defensive coordinator, that mm-hmm. former player, et cetera, and he always said, these Alabama fans are intelligent football fans. And he said, in comparison to a lot of other places who haven't seen good football, and he's right. Uh, they may not know as much as coaches do. They may not know as much as persons like you and me who do it for radio and have to look at things and so forth. But Alabama fans are football smart because they've seen a lot of good football over the years. And you get a little spoiled. I, I compare it to a program near me. Uh, you know, Dabo's catching all kind of problems. You know, Clemson's never seen the, the, the heights to which he took them. And even in the Coach Bryant days, there is a little bit more of a high, higher standard now with Coach Saban. So when you have two losses or you have three sloppily played games, those fans really notice it. And so I'm not saying that they're they're right to be critical, but frustration and the, the things that they notice about football not being played real well, they're smart fans. Now, that being said, to me, this football team was a football team that could not play the style of football that Coach Saban liked. And he had to make the adjustment in the middle of the stream, and they did a hell of a job of it. But when you go out all through spring and two days, and you're trying to get the right quarterback, the right combinations, and so forth, you don't teach the play. Drop back, Jalen, if this guy isn't open, run for 18 yards. You don't work on that. You don't practice that. You don't preach that. You try to get him better in the pocket, making better throws, mm-hmm. making better reads, et cetera. But you get into the season and you find out one of the most dangerous things you weapons you've got on your football team is that kid pulling the ball down and taking off running. 
And those are things you cannot coach on a daily basis. It's impossible. You coach it from a standpoint of go through your reads, don't panic, don't leave too early. But if you have to make it with your feet, you got to make it with your feet. Uh, Michigan just did a good job the other day of, of trying to keep him corralled in. And they made a lot of shoestring tackles, too, that could have been 20-yard scrambles, but they made them. So uh, I just think it was a good a good job by Coach Saban and the staff. Uh, they did not have a football team coming out of spring football that they knew exactly what all the where all the parts and the pieces were. They were still searching, and, and everybody knows that. And I think they held a job early in the season of finally finding out what their what their mo was, what they were good at, and how they could win football games. Coach, from the Michigan perspective, and I even though I picked Alabama to win the game, I said all last week. I said, you know, be leery of this team. Um, reminded me a little bit of Alabama's 2009 team because 2008 Alabama was. 12 and 0, maybe ahead of schedule a little bit, lost to Florida in the SEC championship game. That next year had a lot of people back, veteran team on a mission. And, and I've seen, I saw that from Michigan. I mean, two years in a row, they made the playoff. They got embarrassed two years ago by Georgia. They got stunned last year by TCU. A lot of fifth year players on that team. A lot of guys that came back for this. And sometimes, um, you just kind of feel like it's, it's, it's a team's time. I just kind of, it just kind of feels like Michigan's time. Now we'll, I'll get to Penix and how they're going to have to deal with him. But, um, you know, I was a veteran experienced team. They never panicked, even though they had some issues in the kicking game. And you could just see that, you know, there's a reason they're undefeated. I mean, there's a belief system there and, and down the, you know, like we talked about down the stretch of the game when they had to have it, um, they got it done and just, you know, that's, that's what you deal with when you deal with a team that is kind of in that position again and, and, and had been there a couple years in a row. Um, I just think that, you know, they were a little bit more not focused, but ripe and ready for the moment than Alabama was. That's just my opinion. Yeah, so no question about it. They were, maybe I guess you'd say a team that had been kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but because of their experiences like you went through for the previous two years, and it's been six years, I think, since they won a bowl. And most of those kids weren't even looking at Michigan at that time. But, yes, they are a team that for some good reasons and some bad reasons had been kind of hardened and, and, and brought together. Even some of the off-field controversy that started on all this stuff and, I don't want to get into it too deeply, but stealing signals, I mean, if they broke rules and all that, that's fine. That didn't have anything to do with Michigan winning football games. Stealing signals is the biggest bunch of BS in that, in, in football. I mean, it happens and it can help, but you don't win championships by stealing signals. Uh, so I, I just think they were a team that was kind of pushed together by outside forces and inside leadership. And I agree with you 100%. On what kind of football team they were. Now the other night, they gave Alabama a couple of free chances to beat, to, to beat them. They did. They, I would say they won't beat themselves. They almost did the other night. But the poise and the mental toughness and the maturity, I think, is what probably probably saved them in the long run. They got through those bad situations simply because of what you said. They were even believed in themselves. It'll be hard to beat. All right, Coach, I want to go back to one more critical play in the game and get your your thought. Um, Michigan's down seven after Alabama kicks a field goal. They've got a fourth and two at their 33. They got all three timeouts with over three minutes to go in the game. I mean, they could have punted it back and, you know, tried to get a stop and get the ball back. 
But they had a call that they liked, obviously. They rushed to the line and threw it out to Corum, and nobody was within 10 yards of him. You know, and it was – luckily, there's a block in the back, or it would be, be a bigger play. Uh, again, give them credit. Uh, I wonder, though, as a defensive coordinator and, and Coach Stills in the booth and Coach Saban's on the sideline – I, and, I, and give Michigan credit again. They got up there and they got a snap. But I, I just was shocked that Alabama didn't catch a timeout there um, and, and couldn't have, you know, got a better opportunity to get set for that. It just seemed like Michigan caught them off guard almost on the fourth and two. What did you see on that play? Well, it may be they felt good about the call and somebody just busted it. My gut feeling is it's probably a linebacker that could not get to him, you know, play man to man in coverage in the back, gets out pre release. Uh, that's not normally what happens. And, and they play a lot more man and zone. Uh, but they, it, I mean, they may not have been concerned about the, the formation, the situation. They felt like they had a good call for it. Uh, the only way we can use the time out there is if you know, you know, they ended up getting a group of personnel out there and you don't have the right guys on the field. You, you don't even want to make a call. You get that time out real quickly. You wait too late to, to call it. You know, you, you it's just you can't get it called. Mm-hmm. I would, I would assume they felt good about what they had on the field and their call and it either mis-executed or somebody didn't get the signal. All right. Well, Michigan moves on and, uh, we're getting short on time, so we won't recap the, uh, Sugar Bowl too long, but boy, I thought Washington uh, outplayed Texas the whole game, and you look up, Texas got a chance to win the game late. It's crazy, but uh, that Washington offense with Penix and those receivers, and of course Johnson, the big running back who transferred in from Mississippi State, who is going to be able to play, it looks like. That, that Washington offense is something else, Coach. They're already underdogs, and I mean, I'm, I'm sort of almost like, when is somebody going to believe in them? I'm the first guy that doubted them. I thought that Oregon would beat them. I thought they were fortunate to beat Oregon the first game and that landing went two, two fourth down plays and one of them was a bad decision. It was a questionable decision. Probably would have won the game if they hadn't done that. But they came back and they played Oregon again and it beat them handily. And the thing that scares me about them though, Gary, is their defense, <coughs> excuse me, their defense is starting to make a lot of timely plays and they actually were the difference in the game I saw against Oregon the second time. But, uh, you know, Texas got the yards at the point, but they, they made a lot of critical plays. They took two turnovers off of them, and Texas was only 4 of 11 on third, under 50% on third down. And, and for them, that's not good. And I, th- I think their defense is what kind of scares you a little bit right now. They make these timely stops to, to give their offense a chance to win the ball game. Both of those teams, I thought, played better, executed better than either team in the Michigan-Alabama game. I don't know that up front that Washington can play with, with Michigan, so we'll see. It'll be, a, it'll be a challenge, I think, for them to keep Michigan from just kind of controlling the game. So who do you like? I sort of like Michigan. I, I've been with them all year. I told you last time I was betting Alabama with the heart because that's where I worked so long. But I, I had a funny feeling that Michigan don't pull this through. They have not played the best schedule through the season, but every time they have played a good football team, they have convincingly beaten them. And it's just hard for me to see them, uh, see them losing this game. But Washington's been underdog three times in a row, and they're 3-0 and in the last three games. So it'll be a good one, but I think Michigan will win it. All right, Coach, we ran out of time, but it, uh, it's been a heck of a, a football season, and uh... – 
I've enjoyed having you on. You did regular season. I might I might uh, call you one more time next week about recapping this national championship game, if you don't mind. Yeah, it sounds fun. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope, hope we can keep doing it. All right, Coach. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. All right, 9.52. We'll take a break and come back and wrap up hour number one of the Gary Harris Show right after this. Coming up, Coming up on The Game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Thursday edition of The Game, we'll feature Aaron Torres, Fox Sports National Analyst, Rodney Orr, TiderInsider.com. Plus, your phone calls will cover Alabama wall-to-wall right here on The Game. Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Hey, this isn't wait for when your finances are in perfect order. It just happens. But no matter what surprises come your way, Alabama Credit Union will be here to help make it affordable with great personal loans, mortgages, and auto loans. They offer an easy application process and fast decisions so you can stay focused on feeling good about whatever life brings your way. Alabama Credit Union will be here to help make it affordable with great personal loans, mortgages, and auto loans. Alabama Credit Union, loans for real life. Visit alabamacu.com to learn more. Some rules and restrictions apply. See if you're eligible for membership, then join today and feel good about your money. Townside 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A nice day today with a good supply of sunshine, the high 52. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 30. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy. Rain becomes widespread tomorrow night, the high 54. Saturday, rain ending early, becoming partly sunny, the high 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 38 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You're listening to The Gary Harris Show. Alabama Sports, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 9.56, that's going to wrap it up for uh, the first hour of the Gary Harris Show. I do want to remind you that uh, Jeff Knox and the good folks over at the YMCA of Tuscaloosa have a no-joining fee special this entire month through January 31st. Join the YMCA no joining fee. Just sign up and start your monthly membership. You'll love the why. I do. And I know this is the time of the year when people make a, a commitment to themselves. Um, you know, getting out of the holidays, getting into the new year, spring coming up here in a few months. It's time to get in the gym now. You can't, uh, you can't look good for summer if you wait to summer. That's just the way it is. You gotta, you gotta put the work in now. So, um, Keep that in mind. And no joining fee all month long at the YMCA of Tuscaloosa. All right, this hour has been brought to you by Alabama Credit Union, member-owned and not-for-profit Alabama Credit Union. Just a better way of banking. Find out more at alabamacu.com. Alabama Credit Union loans for real life. We'll be back with hour number two. We'll get it started with D. Orlando Ledbetter and the Falcons report. Falcons got a win and hope for a uh, loss by the Bucks to the Panthers. It's as simple as that. They're going to make the playoffs. they got to beat the Saints. And the Bucks have to lose to the Panthers. Don't know if either one of those will happen. We'll discuss it with the Orlando Ledbetter plus Jeff Spiegel at 1030. The second hour is on the way. Football. Los Tarascos has been serving Mexican favorites like burritos, fajitas, and quesadillas since 1999. Their new location is at 4100 Owen Parkway in Northport. And, of course, you can find Los Tarascos in Tuscaloosa at 110 Skyland Boulevard. The bar areas feature big screen television so you can enjoy your favorite sporting events. Los Tarascos features daily happy hour specials. And for the best Mexican cuisine in West Alabama, remember, the name is Los Tarascos with locations in Tuscaloosa and Northport. This is a special alert. 
WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a Town Square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Kevin Wire. Some NBA news as The Athletic is reporting that there's currently a growing disconnect between Lakers head coach Darvin Ham and the team's locker room stemming from disjointedness around rotation and adjustments. The Lakers falling last night to the Miami Heat by a final score of 110 to 96 to drop them to 17 and 18 on the season. Other NBA action last night saw the Pelicans beat the top team in the West, the Timberwolves, 117 to 106. It's just the second loss at home in 16 games for Minnesota this season. Thunder fall to the Hawks, 141-138. Pacers with 47 points in the third quarter en route to a 142-130 win against the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Kings with a double overtime win against the Magic, 138-135. And the Atlanta Braves giving Chris Sale a contract extension. It'll be a two-year extension worth $16 million in 2024 and $22 million in 2025. Now, this hour is West Alabama real-time news update from the Tusk Lose a thread newsroom. Alabama Department of Environmental Management urging the Perry County town of Marion to issue a boiled water notice in the wake of two malfunctioning water pumps. Bottled water is being handed out to residents. The Alabama House District 16th special election is set for next Tuesday. Republican Northport Attorney Brian Brenyard will face off against Democrat Fayette County Commissioner John Underwood. And the City of Tuscaloosa's Human Resources Department will hold a career fair a week from today, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Tuscaloosa River Market. Get 24 24- local news coverage and sports updates when you download the free Tuscaloosa Thread app and sign up for twice daily email newsletters. The Gary Harris Show. You see him host Tider Insider TV. Crimson Tide kickoff. Play-by-play for Alabama sports and sports director for WVUA 23. It's time for the Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, everybody, here we go. Hour number two of the Gary Harris Show is on the air right here on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC. I'm Gary Harris, Justin Jones, my main man right there, Manny the Controls, taking your phone calls on the first of Main. Uh, actually, Krispy Kreme Donuts Hotline for the second hour. Krispy Kreme uh, Donuts hot and fresh anytime. And uh, this hour is being brought to you by Patterson Comer, Attorneys at Law. You know what uh, I say about Paul Patterson and Mike Comer. Not only are they terrific lawyers, uh, great attorneys, they're outstanding gentlemen, live right here in West Alabama. Paul's in Tuscaloosa, 205-345-1000. Mike's in Northport, 205-759-3939. Toll free from anywhere, 866-507-9091. Remember, uh, when it comes to personal injury attorneys, these guys are as good as it gets, and they'll be with you the entire way, eyeball to eyeball. And remember, if they take your case, uh, there's never any money out of pocket unless they collect for you. It's a contingency situation. So there's no risk. Patterson Comer, Attorneys at Law. Get uh, in touch with them today if you need a good attorney, and you can find out more at PattersonComerLawFirm.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of services performed by other lawyers. And I always enjoy talking to my friend D. Orlando Ledbetter about the Falcons. Uh, it's an adventure <laughs> ever since he's been coming on the program, man. Uh, it's it's a roller coaster ride every year, and that continued this past Sunday in Chicago. Good morning, Orlando. How are you? Hey, good morning, Gary. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, I, I guess the Falcons actually, I think, are pretty lucky 
you're seven and nine, and and it's unlikely. But if you beat the Saints and the Panthers can upset the Bucks, you still win the division and go to the playoffs. So there's still hope. But let's start with what uh, happened in Chicago. Uh, Bears ran the Falcons out of the stadium, 37-17. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Falcons tried to come out early and uh, score and get a lead, so the Bears couldn't uh, run the ball on them. And uh, uh, they took the ball, uh, went into the win, and uh, you know, so they can get the win in the second and the fourth, and then missed two field goals into the win. And then uh, Justin Fields got loose on them. They got up fourteen nothing, and the Bears were able to just grind it out after that. Uh, rushing for 160 yards and so, and, uh, you know, throwing to DJ Moore, you know, Justin Fields looked pretty good doing that. Yeah, the loss uh, was costly because if the Falcons had to won the game, all they'd have to do was win. They wouldn't have to need any help. But as I said, they're in, in the NFC South. Anything can happen. None of these teams are great. So you know, first thing you have to do is you you have to you have to beat the Saints. Uh, and you know that's not going to be hey, that's going to be easier said than than done. But uh, what do you think about the Falcons' chances of the first part of the scenario, which is to to win their game in New Orleans? Yeah, well, I, I don't think uh, you know. Uh, I'm not real confident after the Chicago game. Uh, they went in there and knew that they had to stop D.J. Moore in the running game. The Bears had rushed 38 times in the game before that, and they couldn't get it done, uh, you know, um, and they couldn't. All Justin Fields does is lock in on D.J. Moore, and, that, and they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't cover him. He had seven plays of 20 yards or more. So I know Derek Carr and Chris Olave can do that. And, uh, you know, just can you get enough running game from Kamar Williams if Kamar's ankles out? So, yeah, I don't, it's not a good, uh, good play here for the Falcons late in this season. And even if they do win, uh, they need the unlikely event that the two win Carolina Panthers can, can beat Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa Bay got it handed to them by the Saints, uh, last Sunday down in, in Tampa, or they would already have this thing, this thing wrapped up. But, uh, that's, Probably unlikely that you could count on the Panthers to beat the Saints. I mean, beat the uh, the Bucks, right? Yeah, uh, but the Falcons, uh, you know, are pointing out that hey, Baker's hurt; he's got the rib injury, and uh, that that uh, the Panthers have a defense, and you know, um, you know that they that uh, Burns and um, the Auburn tackle Derek, they could take over a game up there, Dead Brown from Lanier High here in uh, Gwinnett County in mm-hmm. Georgia. So, yeah, they, they think those guys can take over the game. They're worried about Bryce, if he can uh, get enough points up. And uh, there's some people in the Falcons organization that wish Andy Dalton was starting. They think they have a better shot with him under the control. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the other thing that was pointed out to us is like, hey, you know, in 2010, Seattle goes to the playoffs at 7-9. They get the Marshawn run. Uh, against the Saints, not the defending Super Bowl champs out. Yeah. And that was the start of their climb and uh, uh, climb to Super Bowl status. So, uh, you know, going in at 7-9 and nine or 8-9, and nine, you know, you kind of look at, uh, you know, maybe getting a game and then trying to build on that for the future. All right. Speaking of the future, uh, and, and granted, if, if somehow the Falcons are able to beat the Saints and the Panthers are able to beat the Bucks. Um, you'll be an eight and nine team, but still you'll be in the playoffs. You'll win the division. You'll post a playoff game. That'll, I'm sure that'll change the demeanor for everybody in, in Atlanta, but that's unlikely. Uh, let's, let's, let's presume that Atlanta doesn't win the division. Is Arthur Smith coming back? 
Yeah, I think um, I think yeah, that's the, pretty much the situation. Mike Bradley laid that out in his column today in the AJC. Um, and it's looking like if he doesn't do that, they go seven and ten for the third year in a row. Uh, you know, that's not going to be enough progress to uh, please the ownership here. Um, and you know, understandably so, even though they've had a very very hard lift here in Atlanta. Uh, you sign to get the job. You got to get rid of Julio. Your quarterback's four, pushing up on 40. Your line can't protect him. Uh, and then you have a bad salary cap. So he's been digging through a lot. Uh, and so the owner may be more forgiven than uh, folks believe and, and give him the opportunity to continue on and uh, try to get this thing turned around. But, you know, just too many coaching blunders this year. Uh, too many bad losses uh, to to ignore. Yeah, in, indeed, it's uh, you know the whole division, and and you know you kind of <laughs> knew this is what it was going to be like, but uh, and then the AFC South the same way. It's just it's just still hard for me to wrap my arms around the fact that you can have a division this bad. You know, that you can't have one really good team. And you look at other divisions, you may have three really good teams. It's, I, I, I don't, I mean, just your whole take on the fact that there's, and it's been this way now for several years. There just doesn't seem to be anybody in this, in this division. I know the Tampa Bay Bucks with Brady won the, won the Super Bowl that year, but that was almost like an outlier to me. But, um, nobody in this division can just get good. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of what the, the league right now. Uh, people uh, switch and fire and change too fast, so you don't have enough time to put in programs and put in systems. Like, you know, look at the AFC North. You know, that's the model division right now with Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and the Bengals. Uh, you got four potential Super Bowl teams in one division, but they don't fire. Well, you know, the Browns are kind of stabilized, but everybody else don't fire the coach every other year or change the systems that they're putting in or change the draft people. So they've been able to build it uh, to a point where they can be consistent and be in the hunt for the playoffs. Uh, you know, they, uh, Joe Burrow's hurt, so that kind of hurts the Bengals this year. And the Browns are kind of stabilized, uh, you know, after all the stuff they've been through and look like a pretty good team that had to play with four quarterbacks this year. And, um, you know, the Ravens, they look great. And the Steelers are battling back to a winning season, but, you know, they need a quarterback, though. So, uh, that's what people need to do. Need to, uh, you know, not be uh, like the Chargers. You know, changing coaches every couple of years, and the Falcons might be headed down that path if they do that again here with Arthur Smith. I want to ask you about the uh, do Orlando Ledbetter with us. Get off the Falcons for a moment, a couple four more minutes with you, and, and ask you about the officiating because the perception now, um, whether it's true or not, perception. You know, among a lot of the fans is that it's just, it's broken at, at, uh, at best and corrupt at worst. I mean, I want to go back to the Lions game. Um, and the way that game ended with the Cowboys, you know, with the, the Lions trying to, you know, throw to the tackle eligible and, and, you know, afterwards they, they were adamant. Dan Campbell was adamant that they'd handled it correctly and the officials botched it. Of course, the, you know, prior to that, Cowboys got a tripping call that went against them that it was, should have been on Hutchison the, of the Lions. But, uh, there does seem like, and I, I get it. I know it's a hard job, but I think what bothers fans so much is just the lack of transparency. I mean, these officials, there just seems to be no, um, 
you know, you have one pool reporter who gets to interview them, basically canned responses. Nobody sees much being done to these officials when they botch it. Uh, there's a lot of new officials that have come into the league in the last two or three years. You know that. I'm not saying they didn't earn their stripes, but seems like people have gotten pushed up faster maybe than they used to. Uh, what do you think of the officiating situation? And, and, and is it, is it a, 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 an issue for the league in terms of credibility with, uh, with the fans? Yeah, you know, a lot to unpack there, but, uh, you know, I, I talked to Mike Pereira a couple years back, and, you know, their standard is, uh, you know, 10 guys in the bar. If 10 guys in the bar think it was wrong, it was probably wrong. Uh, you know, and uh, as far as the Lions play goes, they were trying to be slick. They were trying to be slick. Number 70 was the regular guy. He came over, and then 68 and 58 came over, and the ref was like, he didn't, you know, I can't take all y'all. Mm-hmm. And so they were not trying to trying to fool Dallas. And and then try to say, Oh, we checked in. So I mean, you know, that's that's gamesmanship. Just line up and play football. You're on the one yard line. Uh so yeah, I, I kinda see both sides of that. Yeah, you're gonna miss calls, um, but you do have replay now. And and you know, the long standing uh remedy has been hey why are these guys selling insurance during the week and then coming to do the game? They should have full-time rest. They make, again, billions of dollars from Amazon and, and everybody else right now, and they certainly could afford to, to uh, you know, uh, retire some of these guys. I know Jerome Bulger here in Atlanta, the, you know, that's not his main job. You know, right. Ken Dollar was official here. Uh, you know, that wasn't his main call at Georgia Tech, you know. Uh, so yeah, you could you could um, you could make that a full time job for most of them, and then keep the supervisors. And, you know, it's a way to do it, and they got the money now, so there's no excuses for this officiating to be so bad at you know real or perceived, and especially with them taking money from the gamblers now. Uh, yeah. You know, they need yeah. to do everything above board, uh, uh, all the way down from the commissioner to the officials. Uh, on how they're calling these games. I don't know if they got to call them all out of New York or what, but um, they got the money, they got the resources, and they, uh, you know, it's enough um, people that went to the Ivy League schools and, you know, the great schools of this country to figure this thing out. The one thing I, I will say this for Goodell, he wants parity. He's got it. I mean, it's this this game, uh, the NFL professional football is so fluid. I mean, three weeks ago, the team we thought was the best team in football, you know, might not even. I mean, you look at how this stuff's finished. The Eagles were like they were going to cruise the NFC East. Now the Cowboys control that division. Um, you look at what's happened to the Dolphins with the Bills getting hot. You know, they've, the Dolphins have got to beat the Bills now. It's week to week. And, and the truth of the matter is, it, you know, even a team like the Panthers, if they play well, they're, we see it every week. It's a week to week league and, uh, the toast of the town one week is they're, they're bums the next. I mean, it's, it's, it, I will give, I'll give Goodell that. Uh, he wants parity. He's got it. Yeah, and and he just inherited uh, the parody. It was brought on to by the great Pete Rozelle, mm-hmm. who was a TV executive, and he knew that the more cities you have in the hunt down the stretch, the higher the ratings will go, the more money they can make, and uh, he's a prophet. But, uh, you know, that did not take into account the quality of football we were going to be watching. 
uh, you know, which is uh, pretty bad. Uh, it's going down. You know, you got quarterbacks can't complete simple pass plays. Uh, but, yeah, it was all done in the name of money and the name of television. Uh, and in the collective bargaining yeah. agreement, God bless the players, all they got out of that was uh, off practice time. <laughs> and so that's affected the game. And, uh, uh, you know, they got some more money a little bit, not as much as they should have. But, uh, yeah, we can go to Pete Rosell for his parody model to help boost the TV ratings, and it's certainly working. Well, you said something there, too, though, with the collective bargaining agreement and and uh, the way the game is now, all the games, not as much focus on preparation in the preseason. Uh, the, the quality of the game is, is, is slipped. There's no doubt about it. You, you're right. You, you see it. I mean, it's entertaining still. I get it. There's a lot of great athletes. But the quality of football, if you just said today's game versus, let's say, 30 years ago, and just in terms of the quality of, of play, the tackling, um, the way that preparation went into it, it's not even close, is it, Orlando? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, they don't even tackle in practice. And it kind of started with the 2011 agreement. I remember William Moore getting kicked out of practice because he, uh, he lit a receiver up. And Coach Smith was making a point, you know, hey, we're not doing that anymore. You know, we're just going to pop and, and release, thud and release. So that's why the tackling is so poor at the beginning of the season because they don't tackle at all in the summer or off season. Uh, you know, and that's why Dan Campbell's team, you saw it on hard knocks, and he's like, look, I know y'all think I'm crazy, but we got to tackle. And, and so mm-hmm. he had to, like, beg his team to tackle in practice. Uh, that's where we are right now, and you see that in the play. The good teams get better over the course of the season and find some kind of consistency. And then the teams that aren't as good, you know, they go up and down, back and forth, kind of like the Falcons been doing uh, this year. All right, let me get you out of here, but you kind of already alluded to it, but you uh, you picking uh, the Saints or the Falcons on Sunday to win that game? Yeah, I'm picking the, uh, the Saints. You know, my selfish reasons, I want them to win and go to the playoffs. I don't have to cover a coach firing, but uh, but yeah, I don't think, I think that's not going to happen this time. All right, and uh, let everybody know uh, how they can track you. They can find me on Twitter at DOLANDOAJC. Our website is AJC.com, and you can find the Bowtie Chronicles podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, Orlando. Thank you, Gary. Have a great one. All right, it's 1018 here on the Gary Harris Show, and uh, we're going to get to the timeout. And when we come back, we're wide open for phone calls in the next segment. And you can give us a call on the Krispy Kreme Donuts hotline, hot and fresh, anytime, 205-342-9904. Jeff Spiegel coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll be back after this. 2011 Billy Sports Grill, located on Main Avenue in historic downtown Northport, has been serving their legendary signature chicken sandwich, award-winning wings, and handcrafted cocktails. Billy's is also the spot to watch all your favorite sporting events with big screen, high-definition televisions, both dining rooms, at the bar, and outside on the beautiful patio. Come by and say hello to Kim and Lisa, the Billy's management dream team. Billy's good food, good friends, and good time. Tune in to 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A nice day today with a good supply of sunshine, the high 52. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 30. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy. Rain becomes widespread tomorrow night, the high 54. Saturday, rain ending early, becoming partly sunny, the high 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 42 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Need to 
know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive content on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. It's 1022 here on the Gary Harris Show. We're going to jump out on the Krispy Kreme Donuts hotline and welcome in Tom to the program. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Gary. How are you this morning? Well, thank you. You know, um, all of the conversation about the game on Monday, and um, and I, I, I think there's been some really good points made. Uh, not why we lost the game. I mean, everybody's disappointed with that. I, I mean, um, I can come up with a scenario, and you can, and everybody can, so forth and so on, but one of the more interesting things to me, the conversation's been, and you brought it up with Coach Johnson, was where the team was at the beginning and where it ended up. And his comment, I thought, was fascinating. Uh, uh, when he says something, I, I've always thought a lot of uh, Coach Johnson. I, I've always thought he was a great coach, you know. And a, a good football mind, you know what I mean. And, uh, and and he said something that I think is so accurate and so true. We saw it. I don't know if we ever brought it up and talked about it, but the coaching staff did an outstanding. He said they did a hell of a job to quote him, and and I think we all agree on that point. And but but the thing that he said was they didn't really know what they had with uh, Jalen. And I think that's true. I think that Coach Saban's got his idea how he wants that offense to run, and he conveyed that. And I think it created some confusion. But when they actually got into the season and saw the ability that Jalen could bring to the table, I think it changed everything. Do you? Yes and no. I, I, I'm... Well, let me let, no, let me think about it a second. I, I I would think you know the guy's been in your program two years. <laughs> you should know you should know what his abilities are and, and what he brings to the table. Um, I do think that maybe when Coach Reese got here, his expectation was that somebody else would win the quarterback job. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's true. It didn't happen, and you know they wound up, you know. Jalen maybe won the game, uh, won the job by not by default, but you know he yeah, won the job, well. and then and then immediately after the Texas game, they want to look at other quarterbacks. And listen, if if Buckner had gotten there and lit it up, um, maybe maybe you know Jalen Miller would have been the quarterback. So that part I agree with you. At that time, once they went back to him, then I think they decided, hey, we've got to build the offense around his strengths. But surely they knew what kind of athlete he is and how talented he is. Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt so, about but, that. But they, com- they committed to him at that point, Tom, and I think that was because yeah, obviously yeah. they weren't committed to him. Even though he started the first two games, if they had been committed to him, then you know he'd have started the South Florida game too. So they weren't committed to him, but after the South Florida situation, <clears throat> they committed to him. They said, let's go with this guy, and it and it worked out great, and you know they're they're one play away from still still playing. So, yeah. True. And also, I wanted to bring up that also on uh, Coach Sanderson and Barry's show, Scott Hunter, who I like, and I like to hear what Scott has to say, 
about things. And, and he, after the uh, Texas game came on, he said, look, let me tell you what you got to do. You got to make up your mind what kind of offense you're going to run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be one that runs a quarterback that is your primary runner? Is he going to lead your rushing attack? Or are you going to have a guy that drops back and throws a pass? You got to make your freaking mind up what, what you're going to do. And he was kind of in a roundabout way, being critical of the coaching, right? And um, uh, I, I thought that was a timely uh, uh, conversation that they had with with the coaches on inside the locker room. But, you know, it, it's still a magnificent job of coaching because, uh, you know, there had to be some contention going on on that team. There had to be uh, some people uh, taking sides and, there had to be uh, some immaturity uh, involved there. And it's just all kind of problems. But somehow or another, Coach Saban was able to bring this group together and, and focus them on uh, winning the SEC championship, which I thought was outstanding. It is. And, I, again, I, I'm, I continue to say this, Tom. I'm, I'm so disappointed when uh, – Winning the SEC championship two out of the last three years and nine times overall by Saban. Well, that's just a damn fool. That's a foolish thing like that. Yeah, it's just that, that that should get much more. That should get much more. Uh, well, I think it, fanfare. Actually, uh, Steve Spurrier said it was more prestigious than winning the national championship, and I, I don't know that I go that far, but it's up there. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is, and it and it should be. And and when you hear, I hate it when I hear people calling to these shows, and, and like you said, uninformed. So, oh, man, won nothing now. And yeah, and and, well, and, and then uh, they yeah. want to try to attach an asterisk to the COVID championship. Listen, Bama haters, oh, yeah. get over it. Alabama. Also, uh, is, I tell you what, I hate this right here too. Another thing I hate. Oh, it's national championship for us. You can't even enjoy the ride. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the I do. Journey. It is a little bit. And, and I think that's unfortunate to put that on uh, a group of kids instead of enjoying how they go about their business. Anyway, thank you, Gary. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank Bye. you, Tom. It's uh, 1028 here on the Gary Harris Show, and uh, we are going to keep it rolling. And when we come back, uh, Jeff Spiegel on the other side, uh, ABC 3340 Sports Acre, host of The Zone. We'll talk college football and basketball with Spiegs next right here on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC. Florence's Old Colony Golf Course is an 18-hole championship layout designed by 1976 U.S. Open champion Jerry Pate. Director of Golf John Gray and fitting specialist Bob Montgomery are PGA certified. Mike Shivitz is the head professional and director of the Tuscaloosa Junior Golf Program. Call today to secure a tee time at the Tuscaloosa Championship Golf Course. Everyone can play. 205-562-3201. Old Colony is operated by Para. Covering University of Alabama sports, as well as the national and local scene as well. The Gary Harris Show, only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 1031, 29 minutes and for the hour of 11 o'clock. And uh, we're scheduled to be joined by Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340. And uh, Justin has not been able to get him on the line. We'll keep trying, Spiegs, and uh, get him on hopefully here in the next couple of minutes. All right, um, with Alabama's season completed, SEC championship number 30, uh, college football playoff berth number eight out of 10 years that were four-team 
playoff format. Alabama was in it eight out of ten times, which is still just mind-blowing to me. you got many other schools that didn't even make it once. A lot of schools that didn't make it once. Uh, but Alabama came up short this year in the national championship. We were certainly hoping to, to get to get another one. And, um, you know, had a shot against Michigan. Could have won the game in regulation. and Could have forced a second overtime but weren't able to do it. And so now uh, you get back into the routine of managing the roster, dealing with the portal, dealing with NIL, finishing up recruiting with, you know, a few more February signees. And then it'll be spring ball. And in the summer, we got Jeff now. Okay, so let's. Uh, oh, you got the, you got the Eagles. Yeah, we'll keep it going. Here we go. Gotta give Jeff the proper intro music. All right, Jeff Spiegel, ABC thirty three forty Sports Anchor host, the Zone is with us. Hey, Spiegs. Hey, Gary. So sorry to be a little late. Hope you're doing okay. Doing doing great. All right. Let's start. You know where we're going to start. We're going to start with uh, <laughs> the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. Alabama could have won. Uh, Michigan did win. That's the way it goes in some of these games. Uh, give the Wolverines credit. Uh, you and I talked about it last week. They're, they're a team on a mission. Now you got to give them that. And we talked about how they have, uh, they've rallied around their coach, Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, after two straight semifinal losses in the playoff, uh, they got past Alabama. Now they're playing for the national championship. But what, uh, you know, what did you think of the game? And, and what do you think went wrong for Alabama? Well, I thought it was an incredible football game. Uh, you know, the ratings certainly reflect, you know, how it kind of just, uh, you know, held the nation and, uh, I mean, just spellbound. I mean, I, I was telling somebody this the other day, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and so have you, and I don't get emotionally attached to football games like I used to, but I was, I thought I was going to have to call the doctor. <laughs> Man, my, my heart, my heart was just, you know, I was having some palpitations there, you know, in the latter stages of that game, because it was just, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty stressful. And I was, I was telling someone who was watching it with me, I was going, how do these kids do this? I mean, all the pressure and everything. But anyway, getting back to the game, look, I mean, Alabama had a chance to win that thing. I mean, they made so many mistakes. Michigan made so many mistakes. I mean, there were, what, like eight fumbles or something like that in that game? And But in the end, Alabama had a touchdown lead with 4.41 to go. Look, a Nick Saban team usually closes that deal out. But uh, J.J. McCarthy... You know, took him right down the field, converted that fourth and two. Roman Wilson made a heck of a play, climbing the ladder and catching that pass. I thought that was going to be an easy pick for Malachi Moore. The ball hung in the air forever. But uh, Wilson climbed the ladder and got that thing. And and then they couldn't get Blake Corum down in overtime. And then, of course, the last play, you know, we, we could we could debate that for years, Gary. Here's my take on the last play. My take on the last play is, yeah, it looked like a designed quarterback run, but who knew? Who knows what the play actually was? Because the snap was low, mm-hmm. it threw the timing off on the play. J.C. Latham got shoved back into the backfield, um, and the, there, the play just got blown up. You know, and then the low snap kind of triggered everything, and um, and the snaps have been an issue, you know, all year long. And you know, I, I don't know how much we're going to go into detail about that this morning, but, but it was, it was, it was a chance where like carry on Arnold said after the game, look, they, they executed better than we did down the stretch. 
And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. So, you know, hats off to Harbaugh and the gang for, you know, for just uh, taking advantage of the opportunities and, and getting it done. Yeah, we are going to go into the snaps because, uh, you know, it is an issue. And uh, fans a lot of times overreact, but, but you know, and, and Seth McGoff is a good football player. And, you know, two-year starter and stepped in, of course, you know, um, in 2021 in that SEC championship game and held his own against Jordan Davis when, when Alabama beat Georgia for that SEC championship. But this is something that's, that's been an issue. And of course, we know now the news that McGoffin's going into the portal, but, uh, it is, I just think people are just flabbergasted that during the course of a 14 game season that this never really got fixed. And it, you know, there wouldn't have been a fourth and 31, fourth and goal from the 31 had it not been for a terrible snap. And we saw it again in this game. It just, it, I, I just, your, your reaction to the fact that, you know, he's a good football player. And I don't, and I bet it's not all on him, but the fact that Alabama could never remedy the, this quarterback center exchange. They didn't play another guy. They didn't put Milrow under center. They didn't do anything other than just, I guess every week feel like, well, this will be the week that it doesn't happen. But this, this play, this, this, now there was a stretch there for several games where I don't remember too many of them, but it never went away. Yeah, and I don't understand that either. And and you know, it, it's it's amazing, you know, that that you go twelve and two, and you have an issue like that that comes up, you know, uh, you know, it seems week after week after week. I think in the Georgia game it was pretty clean, but uh, but you know, the, the the bad snaps in the in the semifinal game, those are those are drive stoppers, you know, as Nick Saban likes to say. And you know, I I don't know how you can blame anybody else but him. I mean, and he, and he must be, he must be an incredible blocker. But, but I think getting the snap back to the quarterback it's is kind of just the first as job, important as blocking. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so, no, I mean, that's, that's the question that people ask me week after week after week after week. Me too. Do they have more than one center in camp? How can you be an SEC championship football team and only have one center that you can rely on, you know, to, to snap the ball? You know, and uh, so yeah, I mean, it came back to haunt him in that game, and and it, uh, yeah, I mean, but but look, I mean, I I don't know, I mean, it's just you you look back at that and you go and you finish twelve and two despite that, um, uh, that that that's one of those things, but that's the one thing that leaves me shaking my head about the year overall. The year, one one of the coolest years I can remember. Because so many incredible things happen for that football team, uh, but that's one of those shake my head moments. Yeah, it is for everybody. It's just, <laughs> and 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 really, you look back at it. I mean, maybe a couple times, nobody really ever pressed Saban on it at any of the press conferences either in regards to why it couldn't get fixed. But it 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 reared its head again on on Monday evening. There's no there's no doubt about that. Hey, I do want to ask you about speaking of fans, uh and I get it and, and, and we're part of it too with the media and you know I heard some other sports talk show hosts say it that Alabama's just held to a different standard and Saban's held to a different standard and all this mess. But um I do I do find it disappointing that this team went twelve and two, went nine and zero in the SEC, won the Program's 30th SEC championship made the playoff, uh, you know, for an eighth time in 10 years of the 14 playoff. And a lot of fans are acting like it was a disaster. I mean, you got, you got fan bases that, that won a lot less than Alabama who are happy with their seasons. I, I just, I do think the standard, um, to some degree, 
needs to people need to check themselves a little bit. If if you can't see how and you mentioned it, Jeff, if you can't see what a special season this was, then maybe you need to check your fandom a little bit. This was a great year for Alabama football. Yeah, and it's okay to have high standards. I mean, it really is. It's okay to have those. But you also have to step back and, and look at the whole year and look where this team was after the Texas loss and after the South Florida win, which looked like a loss, and how this team developed, how Milrow grew. Now, he's got a lot of improvement to make, and I'm sure he'd be the first one to tell you that he can be a much better quarterback than he was this year. But the way he developed and, uh, and you know, and, and the way the offensive line came together, we've talked about Steph's issues, but overall the offensive line really, you know, really grew up, I thought. The receivers developed, you know, the running back room, uh, you know, developed. Uh, there were, there were comeback wins over Tennessee. There was the LSU win. There was the Iron Bowl, which is one of the most, you know, unforgettable games I've, you know, ever covered. You beat the number one team in the nation to win the SEC championship. I mean, if you can't step back and then, you know, the defense gave up 20 points, you know, in, in, in the, in this loss to Michigan. Right. In regulation. But, um, I, overall, you got to step back and look at the year and go, Wow, it was an amazing coaching job, you know, that he did. And, uh, and you have to appreciate it for what it was. All right. To the other semifinal, uh, you know, I thought Washington was the better team, but boy, uh, they had to hang on for dear life. You talk about what could have been a collapse, but they get past Texas and now you've got that Washington offense against that Michigan defense. Uh, obviously the Michigan uh, offense is going to play against the Washington defense too. I get it, but that, uh, that Washington offense, man, they are, they are special with Penix and those receivers. Of course, the big running back Johnson that transferred from Mississippi State. I'm reading that he is going to be able to play. Uh, how do you see the national championship game? Well, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I, mean, I know there's some Alabama fans who aren't going to watch it, uh, but but you know, I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, I think it's going to be a great a great championship game. Uh, I do like Washington to win it. Uh, Penix is just so doggone ac- accurate. He's got NFL receivers. You know, he's got uh, he's got an NFL quarterback back there that can uh, you know shut down you know Wilson and those cats you know for Michigan. So, so I like Washington winning this thing. Certainly, they have to do a better job of closing closing things out, you know, than they did last Monday night. But, um, but Penix is just so. I, I mean, it reminds me of Tua, you know, the lefty and how accurate he is mm-hmm. with the football, and uh, so cool under pressure. And the guy's been through a lot, Gary. He's been through so much in his college career. And to me, it would be a really cool story, you know, if he could cap it off with a national championship. Yeah, well, I think most Bama fans are pulling for Washington. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, Jeff, let's get to Auburn uh, because it, it was certainly an f- interesting first year for Hugh Freeze. I, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that. Um, they wind up six and seven. Uh, they had the near misses at home against Alabama and, and Georgia, and you know you, you normally wouldn't think of losses as highlights to the season, but I think a lot of Auburn fans feel like those were highlights to the season. Had an embarrassing home loss where they got drubbed by New Mexico State, and then they just got absolutely drugged, uh, you know, skull drugged by by Maryland in the in the Music City Bowl, twenty one nothing. And yeah, after that, maybe Auburn played better, but the game was over after the first quarter. And then after the game, some of the more interesting comments I've ever heard a head coach make. And basically, well, I didn't, you know, I've been busy recruiting and I didn't coach the team for the game and, and I didn't feel like we had a great plan. And I mean, what what is he doing? What is Hugh Freeze doing there? 
Yeah, I don't understand it either. I mean, it was, it was one of those. It was one of those moments where you know there, there's somebody, there's somebody who's got to get in his ear after this year's over, and they need to coach him up on how to handle the media and what to say. And, and you would think he's been around long enough where he'd know better, he'd know what to say. But those are things that that, that fans don't want to hear, and those are things that the media is just going to jump all over. You know, and, and, uh, and, and you know, I, it's unfortunate, you know, that he said those things. But the real unfortunate part about it is that it's true, you know, that he was spending, you know, more time recruiting than he was on, on, on working on a game plan. You know, uh, and, and look, I know I know recruiting's a big deal. Uh, but you know what? Gus Malzahn was able to turn in, you know, some top 10 recruiting classes when he was at Auburn. And he still came up with a game plan every week. And you can do both. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're paying you, you know, two, three, four million dollars. I don't know how much money he makes, but we're paying you to multitask and you should be able to do it. You know, if you're a, a D1, a power five football coach, you ought to be able to do it. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate that those remarks, you know, were made, but it's even more unfortunate that they're true. He's making six point five million a year. Jeff is what he's making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, I'm not keeping up with inflation. And it also appears uh, in, in those comments and others this year that at times he's just, you know, he's just throwing his coaching staff under the bus. And and you know, and uh, I don't know. I I mean, I, I mean, it's one year. Listen, I get it. Um, you know, they are having a really, they had a really good, you know, signing class. I, I know he's going to bring more talent in there. I know Auburn's going to get better, but if Auburn fans are honest with themselves, uh, and fans are really honest with themselves, at least when it comes to public perception, um, you put, you want to put a good front forward, but you know, I, I don't think if I'm, if, you know, Auburn fans could be really happy with that first season, Jeff. Well, I have a friend, uh, who's an old Miss fan at work and, uh, and he says that, that this is what you get. This is what you get. I mean, you wanted this guy. This is what you get. You know, he, he does throw his coaching staff under the bus. You know, when things go wrong, it's not his fault. Not his fault. You know, it's the assistant coach's fault. When things go right, he's more than willing to take credit, you know. And um, so that he, he said that that's the guy Auburn wanted. That's the guy Auburn got. And, um, and that's his take on it. And it's just, um, you know, six and seven. And, we, you know, we expected – you know, we expected the first year in a transition year to be, to be difficult. You know, we, we didn't expect, you know, so many, you know, statements, you know, such as this, you know, to, uh, to, to come out from him. But, uh, the Ole Miss fan in the, in, in my office building, you know, fully expected all this. And, and, uh, he, he says, this, this, this is Hugh Priest. This is who you paid for. I've already covered the Alabama portal stuff pretty, pretty well so i'm not going to get you to comment it is what it is um golfing's in the the portal number guys are but this is some breaking news that i mean catches me off guard and and maybe there's more help on the way for auburn because um former pike road star quinshawn junkins has informed according to matt zenis has informed the rebel staff that he plans to enter the transfer portal Wow. Uh, this year he became the first SEC player since Herschel Walker with 15-plus touchdowns in each of his first two college seasons. And I know he's getting a ton of NIL money over there. He's on a team that just, uh, you know, uh, completed a, an 11-win season and is going to be a, a prime candidate for the college football playoff, and he's going in the portal? 
I mean, <laughs> Jeff, make it make sense for me, man. <laughs> you know, we were talking to Skip Holtz yesterday, the Birmingham Stallions coach, and he said in the last two years he's gotten offers from eight group of five schools, you know, to be their head coach. And he said he wants nothing to do with a college football game anymore because of this, because of NIL and because of the transfer portal, because guys will jump into the transfer portal, you know, um, you know, and there, and there's times where, you know, it's the transfer portal makes sense for some guys, sure, you know, but it's being used for the wrong reasons. You know, the, the, the bargaining thing and there's tampering going on, whether people want to admit it or not. And, uh, there's, there's just all kinds of just, it's created so many issues. And he goes, I, I don't want anything to do with the college football game anymore because the NIL and the transfer portal, you know, have just, have just ruined it. And, um, and then, you know, he talked about the bowl games. The bowl games, he said, were a mess this year mm-hmm. because of all the guys who opted out and transferring and, and even the guys who were on the field, and you saw this in the Auburn game, you know, guys who, who were, who played in the game, but their hearts weren't in it. You know, they weren't tackling the way that they were during the regular season. Cause you know, they're like saving themselves, you know, for whatever reason, whether they're going to, you know, transfer or declare for the draft later or whatever. And it's just, um, uh, I don't know. It's just ruining college football, but those are just thoughts that Skip had, you know, yesterday that. I thought I'd pass along that I think are, uh, that, that a lot of college coaches are feeling right now. Yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, you mentioned the tampering. Um, a lot of people are just admitting that I hear coaches now they're just saying, Hey man, these, you know, guys at schools get calls from coaches before you know, they're in the portal. It, but you know, this is, this is, I say we as a general term, this is what we wanted. You know, every, all I, all I heard was, you know, we got to have NIL. We got to have better way for these kids to transfer. And we didn't, you know, we went from doing, you know, 55 in a 70 mile zone to doing 110 in a 70 mile zone. I mean, just overnight, we just completely <laughs> flipped the system, Jeff. And there were no checks and balances in place. I mean, this yeah. is not, this, you know, this has, and rare, other than in rare cases, and you know this, does this have anything to do with name, image, and likeness? These are pay for play schemes. That's what they are. And, um, you know, the portal needs to have some type of restrictions. I, I think that it should be a class deal. You should have to be two years in a program before you can transfer without having to sit out. If you, in other words, you get there as a freshman, you want to transfer, you can, but you have to sit out. But there's, there's just nothing to stop this thing. The, tr- the, the train's off the tracks and I don't see how we can get it back on, man. Yeah, me neither. It's more like going 110 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. But, uh, yeah, you know, now, I had fun covering college football this year. I really did. I mean, I was at the Iron Bowl. I was at the SEC championship game and, and, uh, and that was a blast. But, but you know, the, but you know, the game that I had the most fun covering this year was I went to the New Orleans Bowl and, uh, and saw Jack State, you know, win, win that football game, you know, in, uh, in, in overtime. And, and it was, uh, and that was fun. That was fun because, you know, it's, uh, it, it you had, you know, you had access, you know, which you didn't have, which you don't get, you know, with the Alabama and the Auburn football programs. And I don't know, it just seemed like there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of joy in that football game and, and when they won. And, uh, that's, that's the most fun I had covering college football this year. And, uh, I don't know. I think we're, I, I think all this stuff is, is taking the joy away. Yeah. To me, uh, 
to me the same same feelings to some degree, Jeff. Hey, awesome stuff, man. And I know um, you know with the New Year's Eve situation, no zone last Sunday night, but uh, back on track. And um, of course, obviously your nightly sportscast too. I don't want to take away from those, but I know this Sunday night on the zone, I got a feeling it is going to be loaded. <laughs> Yeah, a lot to talk about, Gary. 10.30 on ABC 3340 uh, this Sunday. and Really appreciate the plug. You're really good to me, and I uh, hope you have a great day. Yeah, we'll talk some hoops next week. All right, thank you, Jeff. All right. All right, it is 10.51, and uh, we are going to get to the break and come back and wrap up this edition of the show and get you ready for the Miller's Edge coming up at 11 a.m. We'll be right back after this. On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in Thursday, 7.30. J.C. Sherbert will join us. We'll find out how J.C.'s wedding went down in South Florida. We'll get his remarks on the Alabama-Michigan game. Also look at the Alabama coaching staff. Holman Wiggins uh, is gone. Coach Hutzler is going to Mississippi State. So we'll try to get some names and find out who may be coming to work for Coach Saban in Alabama. Also, we'll turn our attention to Alabama basketball as they open up at Vanderbilt on Saturday in conference play. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. If you haven't already, you've got to try Tuscaloosa's unique breakfast, brunch, and lunch concept. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa, Timerson Square. It's fresh food with a Cajun flair featuring a full bar with build-your-own Bloody Marys and mimosas. Open daily, 7 a.m. until 2 p.m. Available for after-hours events, rehearsal dinners, receptions, and birthdays. They offer brunch and lunch catering. Call Brick and Spoon at 205-345-5551 for more information. Finding Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A nice day today with a good supply of sunshine, the high 52. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 30. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy. Rain becomes widespread tomorrow night, the high 54. Saturday, rain ending early, becoming partly sunny, the high 55. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 42 degrees in Tuscaloosa. For more from Tide 100.9, let it fly! on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Fifty-five. We're winding it down, and uh, pretty good show this morning. And we have had uh, Cole Livingston in studio and in the control room with Justin from Pickens Academy, and uh, he's doing his job shadowing experience today with me. And after the uh, radio show, we're gonna. Head over to the TV station and give him a tour there at the Digital Media Center inside Bryant Denny Stadium. Cole, what'd you uh, learn anything this morning? Yes, sir. I did. Have a good time. Yes, sir. So after going through the radio show, you you more likely to pursue broadcasting or less likely? <laughs> Probably more likely. It's fun, isn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Well, good to have you. Good to have you with us, my friend. Thank you. All right. Um, that's going to uh, wrap it up for the show. This hour has been brought to you by Patterson Comer Attorneys at Law. We've got Miller's Edge coming up at 11 a.m. with Kristen and Corey Miller. That'll be followed from noon until two with Big Noon Sports, Matt and Lars, and then Ryan Fowler will take you home with the game two until six. We'll wrap it uh, up then uh, with our local sports talk all day lineup. We get it right back in the morning, 6 a.m. with the Martin Houston Show, Whip and Barry, 7 to 9 inside the locker room. And I'll be back tomorrow morning with the TGIF edition of the Gary Harris Show. Always a lot of fun on Fridays. That'll be from 9 until 11. Catch me on TV tonight with the local sports on WVUA 23. Have a great day, everybody. It's sunshiny out there, but it's a little bit chilly. Enjoy your day, and I'll talk to you again in the morning.
you for listening to The Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.